Hello and greetings and welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. So very thrilled that you are making us a part of your day once again, wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening to us. Also want to thank our partner, of course, Life Reimagined, their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. Boy, what are the odds of that? They've got all kinds of processes for you to go through and resources to check out as you make your journey toward your peak happiness. As you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Find out more at lifereimagined.org. Well, what if the secret to lasting happiness was simple? It might be. And Live Happy's upcoming book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, you're going to discover how surprisingly easy everyday acts can lead to lifelong joy and fulfillment, and it's all proven by the latest research in positive psychology. Now, each chapter is organized around a key component or idea that will help you create a happy life, and you're also going to read 40 real-life inspirational stories from regular people and celebrities. Now, the book is available for pre-order right now, and if you do so before March 15th, you're going to get all kinds of bonus gifts, right? Check this out. Absolutely free. You'll get exclusive interviews, illustrated posters, an issue of Live Happy Magazine Digital Edition, and five exclusive stories from people who are practicing happiness and creating joyful lives even as we speak. So go to choosingjoybook.com for more information. Now, in this episode of the podcast, Deborah Heiss and I spoke with Holly Raines on one of 10 practices for choosing joy, which is creativity. Now, Holly was inspired to write Nation of Enemies by a family member who was a Titanic survivor and another one who escaped Poland in World War II. Can you even imagine combining lessons from the past with a healthy fear of the modern landscape? That novel was born. And a longtime member of Boston's writing community, Holly has a history of trying anything once, including acting diving out of a plane, and parenting. <laughs> out of all the things she's tried, writing and raising children has seemed to have stuck. Holly, thank you for joining us on the Live Happy Now podcast. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. A little bit about you is you're featured in our Live Happy 10 Practices for Choosing Joy book, specifically mm -hmm. on the topic of creativity. So you're a writer. I am. <laughs> and a novelist, actually. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about your work? I write part-time. That's sort of, I, I don't even, I would, I'm not sure I would even call it part-time. I write when I can. Um, I, I have a job and I have two kids and I sort of squeeze it all in together. Um, but I've been writing for a long time and I've been working on this novel for the last three years. Somehow a year ago, I was able to find an agent and then she put me together with HarperCollins and everything has sort of come together and it's been Amazing and unexpected. Well, I'm going to ask you a weird question, and it's something I ask a lot of people uh, before they start working here at Live Happy, which is, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Much to my parents' chagrin, an actress. <laughs> <laughs> You've always had that creative um, bent, though, yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I thought, I've always been creative in one way or another, um, and I did. I went to school for drama, and then I went out to... Los Angeles, and I tried to act for two or three years, and then as soon as I figured out that was not for me, um, I came back to Boston, which is where I went to school, um, and I jumped into advertising. But you know, I found myself very unfulfilled in advertising. I was a producer, uh, and you don't really get to be creative as a producer. Sure. <laughs> you watch the bottom line. <laughs> a lot of bottom line. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, and so I found myself increasingly just sort of stressed out over work and working 60 hours a week. And I had no time for myself. And 
I was fairly miserable in my mid to late 20s. I picked up the book, I don't know if you know it, by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, such a great book. And it helped to get me on the right track. Uh, she has this exercise where you wake up every morning and you, I think you write for 30 minutes. And it can be complete and utter gibberish. You're not even supposed to talk to anyone. You're supposed to roll out of bed and start writing. And I did that thinking I have nothing to lose. You can throw away the pages and never look at them again. Um, But what it did is get me into the rhythm of writing and just using my mind in that way again. Um, And eventually I started taking some fiction courses and I just started, started experimenting and sort of shoehorning in time here and there between my career um, to write. I guess over the years it's just, it's grown. And so now I write a very, I have a very scheduled or like a set schedule every single week where I write on the weekends for two hours on Saturday, two hours on Sunday. And then I write while my children are in school all day on Friday. You have a schedule for being creative. This is a, this is a, <laughs> something that, you know, I, I mean, I actually believe in this, but I think it's, it's a little foreign to probably a lot of people who think about creative types. They think, oh, you're hit with a bolt of inspiration and there it is. Yes. Yes. I think that is complete complete and utter truth uh, that for a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people say that they can only be creative when, when the, the, the feeling hits them. And I think I even used to believe that until, until I had no time and I couldn't just wait for inspiration to hit. Cause maybe I was going to be in the middle of a production or something. Um, so I started this, very segmented routine of two hours on Sunday and two hours on Saturday. It really worked. Uh, And then I guess much like anything, like exercising, although I am no expert there, I think you get into a rhythm. And then suddenly now when I sit down for those scheduled times, I just just get to work right away. I'm not distracted. I know it's my time to write. And so I'm really able to do it. Are you working on the same thing every time that you do this? Is it the same story? Or do you you sometimes veer off and write other things if if the mood so strikes you? I usually continue. Now that I'm writing novels, Mm -hmm. um, this one that I just published is actually my third. My other two are on my hard drive. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) um, I tend to just stick to what I'm writing. I, you know what's nice about it is wherever I leave off, I try and leave it at a good place. So after the two hours on Saturday, I try and leave it either mid-scene so I can jump into it on, on the next day, um, or I try and set up the next scene so the same sort of thing, I know where, where I'm going the next day. And, and that's the reason I asked, because I would imagine if, you, if you've got a novel that you're writing and you know the story and you know the flow of it, it's probably a little bit easier, uh, I would think, than to be able to jump in from day to day. But for those folks that are still kind of struggling with, you know, formulating their creativity and maybe they're trying to schedule it, but they're having blocks, what, what are some of the things that you did to, to maybe foster some of your creativity uh, in the early going? I would say get away from your children. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> if that's at all possible. Uh, my husband has been really super supportive. Um, and I, I also, I still work. So, um, you know, without his support, I could never get this stuff done. Um, but I really had to get out of my house. That was key for me. And I think you have to find a space that makes you feel 
that you can be creative. And whether that is at, at a coffee shop, which happens to be my place of choice, um, or, you know, somehow if you have space in your house or um, these days, I've actually heard of a lot of creative spaces that are opening up and writers or painters sort of chip in and they, you know, pay monthly fees that are pretty minimal. So I feel like there's a lot of different opportunities these days. You can even just go to the library. We have a library next door. So if I ever get desperate, I can go to the library. So I think it's about finding something that's comfortable for you. You mentioned earlier that you have two novels on your hard drive. And, <laughs> and I think there's probably a lot of listeners out there that have uh, novels on their hard drive or photos on their photo cards or sketches yep. in their sketchbook that yes. are really never going to be able to monetize it. Yes. Or maybe it's not even their desire to monetize it. Um, yep. What is it about the creative process that really drives you to write a third novel when the first two are on your hard drive? It's such a good question. Um, for me, and probably for those people with sketches and everything else, it's sanity. Um, it's the only thing I have. It's happiness and it's sanity. For example, I know when I'm not being creative. I am not the best mother. I'm not the best wife. I feel more anxious and stressed out. For me, it was never really about monetizing it or making a career of it. And I would tell you that after this book, I am certainly not going to be a working novelist. That is definitely a pipe dream. But it's lovely that I was able to publish, but that's not what it's about. It is about, it's about doing something for yourself. More, more than anything, I feel like creativity doesn't have to be creative. It doesn't even have to be sketches or paint or words or anything or, you know, clay. I would say that it's more of having a creative outlet for you. So it's about building your time. I mean, it could even be exercise. Some people have no, not a creative bone in their body, but if they carve out time, they would choose to exercise. There's a million other things you can do. Woodworking. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of about what makes you happy. So I don't, I definitely do not write for the money. Um, I write because it just makes me who I am. It makes me happy. I can certainly relate to that. I used to design uh, like small baseball stadiums in an AutoCAD program that I had on my computer. They're never going to get built, but it was so much fun just to sit there and design. Yeah. So it would be really cool to have this in a ballpark, and, and I could put it in my hometown and all this and that. That said, yeah. it's fun to create and do all that. Do you have any goals for this other than you just really want to get these stories down on, on your computer, or do you see anything blossoming out of this? I mean, I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> um, I think in the last, I think, uh, month since I published, I've learned a lot about the publishing industry. Um, and, um, you know, some good, some not so good. There are just so many authors these days, especially with self-publishing and just, you know, it's, which is fantastic. So I feel like there's so many outlets for people to publish books. And so... I would love to just write. I would love to write novels and get paid for it and then have someone option the movie rights. <laughs> anyone out there listening? <laughs> so I would love that. You know, and, and who knows, in the future, I may do something like if I, if I ever leave, leave advertising, I may do something like creative, uh, creative writing on a blog. I may try and monetize that. Um, that would be something that would be fun in my future, I would say. But other than that, no, mat no matter what, I, I just still will still write. 
Well, I love I love the fact that you represent what most of us in the creative industries represent, which is that we have regular jobs. I mean, yours is in advertising yeah. and 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 most people who are creative are not that's not their primary income. You know, there's a lot of actors who wait tables, we all know, but there's yeah. also also a lot of writers who, you know, work in advertising shops or who are accountants yeah. by day and Yes. And the creative process is not about, for me anyway, it's not about the end result. It really is about the creative process. Um, Absolutely. And I know that a lot of our studies show that uh, just the act of being creative gets you out of your day-to-day grind, brings you more joy, um, really can, yep. makes you a better parent is something you said earlier. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does. It really does. It's amazing. And my when my children whine and complain about me going off to write, I try and warn them that I would be a mom. <laughs> Mommy is not so happy when I'm not writing. Um, but yes. Um, but it's true. It's um, it's so completely personal uh, creativity, and you know you go and you can completely tune out everything um, and just sort of be there with yourself and your and your thoughts or whatever it is you're doing that's creative. I really love the idea that you're not ashamed of the fact that you leave your children to go do something that it was not necessarily <laughs> because so many people, so many. Women, particularly, I find are, well, I just don't have time for myself because I've got to do this and this and this. And I think that's probably one of the most unhealthy things you can do. It's fantastic. You have a, a, a supportive husband, but I'd like to think that you'd do it whether you, whether you did or not. <laughs> you know, I'll, I will tell you that um, it took me after I wrote, well, I had my first daughter, but then after I had my second, I was so up to my eyeballs in work and two kids and you know, moving to the suburbs and having a house and everything that I didn't write for about a year and a half. Yes. So uh, I didn't write for about a year and a half. And, uh, and that was definitely a part of it was the guilt. And I had these two extremely needy people, um, both <laughs> physic, um, and maybe three, my husband as well. Wow. Um, <laughs> they were, I mean, and it's physically and emotionally draining. I very slowly progressed back into writing uh, after that time because I was not happy, (laughs) not happy. Um, And it probably, you know, it might have taken me about six months to get back into the groove. But then I but then I did. And then there was no stopping me. And my husband was, again, so supportive. And yeah, I just never stopped. I don't know. You can't. I feel like you you cannot apologize for wanting a few hours a week to yourself. No, Um, not at all makes the whole family happier. And there's been so many people that have been on this podcast with us that have that have said the, the same thing. In fact, uh, one of our cover subjects, Jillian Michaels, said the exact same thing. She takes like 12 hours a week, and it sounds like a lot, but really when you add it all up, it's so important. It seems like yes. you derive so much joy from your time that you can spend writing and working on your novels and, and, and your creative process. But what's been the greatest pleasure about getting a book published? I guess having people read it um, has been just eye-opening. Um, when I, I remember when people first started coming up to me and talking about my characters, it was completely disconcerting. Like, how do you, how do you know? How do you know that person? <laughs> <laughs> These people have been living in my head for four years. Um, so it's been amazing to share that side of me. I've also been a bit of a closet writer. A lot, I would say 90% of the people I know never even knew I was a writer. <laughs> so, so when I published, they were like, what? what? What do you mean you have a book? Um, 
And then I would say one of the coolest things anyone has said to me since publishing was they were both telling me that they had stopped reading for a while. They were just too busy in life and, you know, they really missed books. And they picked up my book, you know, as both of them were good friends of mine. Um, they picked up my book. They both read it. They, they loved it, luckily. And it encouraged them to keep reading. They couldn't stop. They got the bug. They, then they immediately, both of them separately, they don't even know each other, um, picked up books and, and started to read again. And I was just heartened by that, that I could, that something I did could affect someone else. That kind of leads into a question I've always wondered about because I, I, I've, I haven't written a story or anything since I was told I had to in high school. Uh, <laughs> what's it like when you talk to someone who maybe interprets a character or a situation in your book differently than you do? Is that is that such a weird feeling or is it just like, oh, cool? It's, I would say it's eye-opening. You, as a writer, you have tunnel vision. These people come out of your head. You know exactly why why they're motivated to do things. So then when you speak to someone who got something completely different. <laughs> um, it's it's slightly disconcerting, but it's not. No, he's the bad guy, really. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's just sort of interesting. Uh, it's funny. I, I've been, a, uh, something else actually that has really helped me in fostering my creativity has been that I joined a writer's group years ago. Um, so I've been in a writer's group probably for 10 years or so now, and it really is so helpful to uh, every every month we turn in about, I guess, up to 25 pages, and then we critique each other's work and we meet out for dinner, um, and it's really taught me how to handle critique of uh, critiques on my work um, and also how to critique others. In a supportive way. <laughs> It is a completely supportive way, but I can also, I have a really tough skin now. So in full disclosure, someone has given my story a one star on Amazon <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what did they say? And they just hated my ending. And that's all they said. I hated the ending. And like, that is completely fine. I, I wish that I could have a conversation with that person. Like, and you want to call them and ask, right? What, what, yeah. what, what, yeah. what do you do? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure they don't encourage that in publishing, but I would love, I'd love to know why he hated it. Um, so it's it's just interesting. It's it's art, though, right? Everything is so subjective, and uh, you you got to get a bit of a, a tough skin and just understand everyone has perspectives. We've been talking a lot about your book. I think we pro should probably tell people the name of your book. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want to squeeze that in again. Oh, Holly Rains Holly Rains is the author of Nation of Enemies, and what I what I found really interesting about your biography was that uh, you were inspired by the to write this book by family members, one who, was, was. one who was a Titanic survivor and, an, yes. Yes. and another who escaped from Poland in World War II. So that, that's some pretty hefty history in your family. It was really, it's their amazing, amazing, amazing history. Um, and they're actually on my husband's side. Um, and I was fortunate enough to meet uh, the woman who escaped Poland in World War II. In fact, she is she's the whole reason um, I wrote my book. She sort of planted the seed. Um she it was years and years ago now she took me aside and was talking to me i think she was 8 or 10 somewhere in there um when world war 2 came to poland and she was jewish and they were um you know they were readying to leave her neighborhood and she it's it's like any other holocaust story that we've all heard um but for some reason for her, because I knew her and she touched me, I, she said, listen, can you imagine everything gone from your, from your neighborhood? Your, the stores closing, your neighbors moving. 
elementary schools closing, everything just going. And then suddenly you're taken to another country where you don't speak the language and it's terrifying. And she said, just imagine that here. And I did. I I thought about it. I ruminated on that idea for years about the United States going through something similar. And so Nation of Enemies um, was born out of that conversation. That's incredibly interesting. And I'd imagine being in Boston, too, that there's some historical inspiration for some future stories as well. Is that, would that be the case? Is that fair? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to it because I really enjoy my time when I'm in Boston. Uh, Holly, thank you so much for joining us and, and talking with us about the creative process. It's, it's, it's certainly a key to your happiness and I think for so many other people. And it's fantastic to get a chance to, to discuss it with someone who has found so much joy in that process. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, JR and Deborah. It was lovely to talk to you, and it's just a pleasure to be on. If you would like a free chapter from Nation of Enemies or a free sketch note, you can go to livehappynow.com and, of course, receive an exclusive offer when you pre-order Live Happy 10 Practices for Choosing Joy at livehappy.com slash pre-order. That's it for this episode of Live Happy Now. We, of course, invite you to chime in on your thoughts on this particular episode. You can find us on Twitter at Live Happy, Facebook.com slash Live Happy, on Instagram by searching My Live Happy, or you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. For Deborah Heiss and Holly Raines, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, thank you, and remember to always live happy. <laughs>